worship today, and we're so glad that uh, many who have not able, been able to be with us over the uh, last uh, several weeks are here with us today. We missed you, and we are so glad that uh, you can be here again with us. You know, sometimes it's difficult to um, sometimes it's gif- difficult to stay focused and to stay confident, but we have to do it because we have work to do. And uh, we have a God who cares for us, and so we've got to keep our perspective and our focus in the right place. One of the reasons, however, that it is difficult to stay focused and to stay confident is because we live in a world that very often easily dismisses people that it deems unimportant. In our own country, we see examples of this on a regular basis, and we're reminded of it. We're reminded of how too often people in power live in a different world, a different reality than we do. They make decisions that affect all of us, and yet they don't seem to care at all about us. They don't care what we think. They don't care what we need. They don't care how their decisions affect, their, affect our lives. But we serve a God who is completely the opposite. Our God is our creator, and he does care about us, and every decision that he makes he makes with us in mind. Everything that he does, he does with us in mind. In fact, the Bible tells us that God is so interested and his care is so great for each one of us that even the very hairs on our head are numbered. Luke chapter 12 and verse number 7. This care that God has for his creation is illustrated in a beautiful way in the account that Aaron read for us just a moment ago. Luke chapter 18, verse 35 through the end of the chapter. And we read in this context about a blind man by the name of Bartimaeus. Now Luke doesn't tell us his name, but Matthew and Mark both record this encounter. Matthew chapter 20 and Mark chapter 10 And Matthew and Mark will give us his name. His name is Bartimaeus. And what we find is that Jesus, as he's on his way to Jerusalem to make his final entry to the city, which ultimately, just a few short days later, will end up in his death on the cross, he has a crowd that's following him along as he's on his journey. And just shortly before he arrives there, he comes into contact with this man, Bartimaeus. And this occasion, along with the account that follows it of Zacchaeus, we're not looking at Zacchaeus today, but it's good when you're studying to study these two together. They will illustrate for us the great care that our Lord has for people, all people, every single person, regardless of their circumstance in life. The Lord and creator of the universe cares deeply about every person in this world. I want us to study this account this morning. Let's begin in verses 35 through 39 and notice the blind man's cry. Luke chapter 18, verse 35 through 39, we'll call this the blind man's cry. The Bible says that it happened as he was coming near Jericho that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. And hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So They told him, verse 37, that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by, and he cried out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before warned that he should be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. 
Three things in these verses that we need to notice. Number one, note that the blind man recognized his need. He recognized his need, and his need was mercy. Sometimes in life we have a hard time distinguishing between needs and between wants. Sometimes in life we blur the line, even if it's unintentionally, between what we need and what we want. But this particular man, Bartimaeus, this blind man, he absolutely recognized his truest and his greatest need. He could not work. He could not provide for himself the necessities, the, the necessities, the necessities of life. He could not restore his own sight. This all in an age in which there was no quarter, if you will, given for those who were physically unable to care for themselves. There was no Romans with Disabilities Act in the ancient world. And so this man was left completely and entirely in a physical and in a spiritual sense to depend upon the mercy and the courtesy of others. He's not asking for what he wants. He's asking for what he needs. And what he needs is mercy. Mercy is defined generally as great concern or pity or compassion on someone who finds themselves in a difficult circumstance. It is concern, it is pity, it is compassion upon someone who finds themselves in a difficult circumstance. And so when this blind man cries out and says, Son of David, have mercy on me, what he's saying is, I need someone to help me. I need someone to take pity upon me and to help me by doing for me what I am unable to do for myself. That was his need. But second, he recognized the only one who was able to meet it, and that's Jesus Christ. He recognized his greatest need, which is mercy, but he also recognized that not just anyone could fulfill that need. Now think about this. Here's a blind man who sits on this road probably every day begging. And every day people pass by him. Dozens, perhaps hundreds of people pass by him daily. And these individuals, they have the ability to meet some of his needs. Maybe they can give him something to eat. Maybe they can give him money to go buy something to eat. Maybe they can give him clothing. They can satisfy some of his needs, but they can only satisfy them on a temporary basis. They may give him money to eat on Monday, but he's going to have to have money to eat on Tuesday as well, and Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and next week, and next month, and ten years from now, if he's still alive, every day, those same needs are going to have to be met over and over again. He doesn't want those needs to be met over and over again. He wants mercy. He wants to be able to have his sight because he doesn't want to depend on someone to feed him and give him clothing and all of these things. He wants somebody to meet a permanent need. And the only one who can do it is Christ Jesus. That's why he calls out to the Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. He's not asking the people that pass by him to cure his blindness. He knows that there is only one person and one person only who has the ability to meet that need. And that's Christ. And so note this, because he knew his need and because he knew the only one who could meet it, he was persistent. 
You'll notice in the occasion or in the account that the Bible tells us that when the crowd noticed Bartimaeus crying out to the Lord, they warned him and they told him, you need to be quiet. Here is a man who had some real obstacles to overcome. There's the obstacle of his own blindness. There's the obstacle of his perceived status in society. There's the obstacle of the crowd who no doubt numbered in great multitudes who's following Jesus as he's traveling to Jerusalem and they try to push him to the side. They want him to be quiet, but this blind man wouldn't allow any of those things to stand between him and between having his need met. He was persistent. So what do we learn when we look at the blind man's cry in verse 35 through 39? Three very important yet very straightforward points. Like Bartimaeus, first of all, we have to recognize our need. His physical blindness reminds us of our own spiritual malady, of our own spiritual issues. Do you remember Isaiah 64 and verse 6? It says that in the sight of God, all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. In Ephesians 2 and verse 12 The Bible tells us that outside of Christ, we are without hope and lost in this world. In Jeremiah 3 and verse 25, the prophet said, We lie down in our uh, uh, shame and our confusion covers us because we have sinned. Our fathers, even to this very moment, he says, we have sinned. He's describing a, a need a spiritual need, and it's the greatest need that any one of us could ever have, and that is the need to have sight restored. Without Christ and in sin and separated from God, like this blind man, we're blind and we're lost and we're without help and we're in need of mercy because we cannot fulfill that need on our own. We have to recognize that need. That need is mercy. That need is salvation. But second, we have to, like Bartimaeus, recognize the only one who can meet it. Acts 4 and verse 12, you remember the apostle Peter said, there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved other than Jesus Christ. Jesus said of himself in John 14 and verse 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes unto the Father but by me. We've got to recognize our true need, and what we need is God What we need is Christ. What we need is mercy and grace and the blessings that our God provides through Jesus Christ. But we have to recognize that those needs cannot be met and those things cannot be found anywhere else other than Christ. And so therefore we must stop at nothing to get to him. In Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 12 and 13, God tells the people through that prophet, You will seek me and you will find me, listen to this, when you seek me with your whole heart. I want you to think with me about that for just a moment. When you will seek me and you will find me, when you seek me with your whole heart. What does that imply? That implies persistence. That implies determination. That implies dedication. That tells me that if I'm going to seek and find my God, that what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to pour all of myself into that process and not allow a single person or a single thing or a single setback 
or tragedy or difficulty or whatever the case may be to come between me and seeking to have the greatest need that I have in this world met, and that is the need for my God. Bartimaeus teaches us that we have to know what we need, we have to recognize who can meet it, and we have to stop at nothing in order to respond to him in obedience in order to make sure that that need is met. So now I have to ask myself those questions. Do I recognize what I need most, not want, but need? Am I convinced that Christ is the only one who can meet it, and what am I doing to see that it's met? Second, let's look at the blind man's faith. Luke chapter 18, verse 40 through 42. His cry is in 35 to 39. Let's look at his faith, verse 40 through 42. The Bible says that Jesus stood still. He commanded him to be brought to him, and when he had come near, he asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Receive your sight, because your faith has made you well. Three items in this section, just like the previous. Number one, I want you to notice that the blind man, because of his cry, he received the Lord's attention. The Bible tells us specifically in verse number 40, notice the, the terminology, so Jesus stood still. You know, Jesus must have had a lot on his mind at about this particular moment in time. Again, remember that Jesus knows he is on his way to Jerusalem and he knows what awaits him there. He's told the uh, disciples already in context previous to this what's going to happen. The Son of Man is going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to be delivered into the hands of the Gentiles. He's going to be crucified. He's going to raise on the third day. He knows what's coming. He must have had a lot on his mind. But more than that, he's flanked by a crowd. He's traveling down this road, and it's not a quiet uh, uh, a travel in solitude where he has the opportunity to think and to pray and to meditate and to be alone with his thoughts. That's not what this is. He is traveling, and there's a great crowd of people that are around him, and you can rest assured that even though God doesn't tell us this, Bartimaeus was not the only one who had questions to ask of the Lord or wanted something uh, from the Lord on this journey of his to Jerusalem. And yet, in all of this, the Bible says that he stopped. For whom did he stop? For a king? For a military officer? For a wealthy benefactor? No. For a poor blind man. He stopped for a poor beggar. He stood still and wanted to hear what his concern, wanted to hear his care, wanted to hear his desire. This point alone should highlight for us and encourage us because of what it tells us about the merciful and caring nature of our God. The merciful and the caring nature of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember that Jesus said that he had come to seek and save the lost in Luke 19 and verse 10? But what Jesus also does is Jesus illustrates for us time and time again the need to show mercy to those who are lost. Remember that mercy is defined as care and compassion and pity and looking to help the person who finds themselves in a difficult situation. But Jesus was no hypocrite. Jesus did not just preach something. Jesus practiced what he preached. 
You remember Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 and following. The Bible says that as Jesus moved about the uh, the cities and the villages teaching and preaching, that he uh, was moved with compassion because he looked upon the multitude and he saw that they were scattered abroad as sheep without a shepherd. Jesus calls upon us to imitate him in showing mercy and compassion in the same way that he did. Matthew chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 13, Jesus in speaking to the unbelieving Pharisees said this, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Matthew chapter 23 and verse number 23, Jesus rebuked the same Pharisees because he said, You tithe with your anise and cumin and you... Uh, you Uh, see to the weightier matters of the law, but what you've done is you have neglected to show mercy and compassion in doing all of these things. Luke chapter uh, 10 and verse number 37, as Jesus Jesus, uh, concludes the parable of the good Samaritan, he says to those again who challenged him in his willingness to show mercy and care to those who they deemed unworthy to simply go and do likewise. Over and again, the Lord will emphasize that you've seen me show mercy and compassion upon people. You follow my example and you show mercy and compassion as well. So that begs the question for me as a Christian, as a child of God, do I see in myself the same willingness to show mercy and compassion to others as Jesus did. As I'm traveling down the road to Jerusalem in this busy life that I'm living, from time to time when a blind beggar calls out and is trying to get my attention, do I stop what I'm doing? Do I stand still in order to make sure that that person understands that they are cared for and that there's really someone in this world who genuinely cares for them and about them and wants to meet their needs? I want to tell you that there are a lot of people in this world who genuinely feel like no one cares. Like no one really wants to try and stop and meet their needs. And I will encourage you to this note, not encourage, but challenge you. Put this to the test and see if it's right or wrong. In your evangelistic efforts, in your desire to serve your fellow man, see if it's not the case that from time to time, if you take the opportunity to stop what you're doing and show genuine care and pity and concern for another human being, they'll be moved by that. And they'll say something like, you know, I used to go to another church and I've been around Christians before, but no one ever really seemed to care. But you care. The people at your congregation, they care. And it'll make an impact on them. The the blind man received the Lord's attention. And people who have spiritual needs and even physical needs that call for us, they ought to catch our attention as well. But now notice his request. He he catches the Lord's attention in verse number 40, and the Lord stops. He commanded him to be brought to him, and when he had come near, he asked him, and he said, What do you want me to do for you? And his request, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Volumes could be written on what he didn't say. He did not ask for money. He didn't ask for fame. He didn't ask for a house. He didn't ask for clothing. He didn't ask for an unlimited supply of food. He didn't ask for political deliverance 
which is important because most of the people following Jesus probably thought that's what he was there to bring. He asked for the right thing. He asked to be able to see. Brothers and sisters, there's a spiritual application to that question in addition to what we mentioned in the previous point. That is, knowing what we need the most. And here it is, there are none so blind as those who will not see. Over and over again, we have these uh, examples throughout the gospel accounts of Jesus coming into contact with the Pharisees and with the scribes, with those who had hard hearts. They refused to see. Jesus would even tell them, there are generations of people who longed to see what you were able to see. They died without being able to see it. And yet, here it is, right in front of your very eyes. And you refuse to see it. Read Matthew chapter 15. There are so many people in this world, and I fear perhaps even in the church, who, if they only valued the ability to see things spiritually as they value the ability to see things physically, their life would be changed. People need to see, but they want everything else. And so the want comes ahead of the need, but not so for Bartimaeus. He asked for the right thing. He wanted to be able to see physically. And we ought to desire to be able to see clearly in a spiritual way. Now look at his faith. Remember that the blind man addressed Jesus as the son of David. And what's interesting about this is that this blind man is the only individual in all four gospel accounts who is recorded as addressing Jesus as the son of David. That's interesting. That's noteworthy. And the reason is because... The phrase, the terminology, son of David, is a messianic title that refers to Jesus as being the kingly descendant of David. See Luke chapter 1 and verse number 32. The fact that this blind man recognized Jesus as the son of David, the fact that Jesus says, your faith has made you whole, tells us some things. It tells us, number one, that in recognizing him as the son of David, that this blind man evidently, more than most, saw Jesus for who he really was. He didn't necessarily see Jesus as some political deliverer who was going to release them from under the hand of the Romans. But rather, he saw him as that one who the prophets foretold would be coming that one who was of the seed line of David. And second, he recognized Jesus as the son of David and all that that entailed, meaning he's king, meaning he's ruler, meaning he possesses all authority, and meaning that he must submit himself to him. You know, there's something in a name. There's something in the name, Church of Christ, the people that belong to Jesus. That's literally what the name means. The name Jezebel brings to our minds the, 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 the most awful of, of images and ideas of wickedness and unfaithfulness. The name or the title, Son of David, that means we're not just looking at anyone. We're looking at the kingly descendant who would come and sit on David's throne, and to him we owe our allegiance, to him we owe our obedience. That's why Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. 
Because this poor, blind beggar recognized that the one to whom he was speaking was the Lord, was the Savior, was Christ. And that he and he alone had the power and the ability to change his life. And so therefore, he is coming with the intention of bowing himself before him in humble and sincere obedience and followership. And then look at the result. Look at the blind man's response in verse 43. His cry, verse 35 through 39. His faith, verse 40 through 42. His response, verse 43. And immediately he received his sight and he followed him, glorifying God and all the people when they saw it, gave praise to God. The blind man's response, notice, is willing followership. The blind man, Bartimaeus, was not like so many in the world who, had they gone to the Lord and received this, would have said, thanks, Lord, and then turn around and walk the other way. I can see now, so I'm going to go see all my family members. I can see now, so I'm going to go get a job. I can see now, so I'm going to go fill in the blank. His response was, the Bible says, immediately to what? To follow him. This connects very well with the previous section. Why has his faith saved him? Because, number one, he recognized who he really was, and that's what led him to pursue him. But number two, because in recognizing who Jesus really was and in pursuing him, his, de- his determination is what? To keep following him. To keep going. Listen, our followership is an expression not only of our submission, but it's also an expression, excuse me, of our thanksgiving. What better way to express our thankfulness to the Lord for all he has provided than to submit ourselves to his will and to follow him and to serve him faithfully? What better way to express our gratitude to a God who's given us everything than to give him everything? That's what Bartimaeus recognizes. So he follows him and he rejoices and he rejoices for all the right reasons. He's gone from blind and begging to following and rejoicing. And in doing such, he sets a pristine example for every human being in this world to follow. We recognize what we need. We recognize the one who can meet the need. We stop at nothing in order to find him so he can meet the need. And then as an expression of our gratitude, we submit ourselves to his will and we go from blind and begging to following and rejoicing. If we come up out of the waters of baptism... If we go through the process of obeying the gospel and our life has not changed so drastically that we now can be described as following and rejoicing, then there is something wrong. If I cannot be described as a Christian who follows the Lord's will and rejoices in everything that he's given, then I have become unfaithful. There is sin in my life and I need to repent. Period. End of story. And this blind beggar illustrates that all too well. Notice, by the way, the last part of the verse. You know that crowd of people that tried to keep Bartimaeus from having access to the Lord in the first place? Now that the Lord commanded him having access, 
Now that they've seen this miracle, their tone has changed too. All the people saw it, and what did they do? They gave praise to God. I am a firm believer in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and following, which tells us that if, I'm going to paraphrase it, which tells us that if we live a beautiful life, beautiful life is defined, by the way, as a faithful Christian life, then that lifestyle will be attractive to those in the world who see it. And not all, but some will see that and say, I want what he's got. I want to know what she has found that allows her to be able to navigate this crazy world so successfully. And Peter tells us that it may be that through our beautiful life, our beautiful exposition of Christian living, that some will be saved, that some will ask the right questions, and it will lead them to obedience. And the point is this, if we will but just put ourselves in the shoes of Bartimaeus, then it may be that the crowd of people around us that's trying to shove us to the side and reject us will see what true Christianity is all about. They'll see the change in us. And so they won't reject us anymore, but rather they'll praise God because of us and perhaps find their own way, uh, and perhaps find their own way to obeying the gospel. We live in a world that's full of people that don't care. We live in a world that's governed by people who often don't care. Go back and read your Old Testament sometime, and what you'll find is that the rich and the powerful, basically since the beginning of time, have generally speaking been the exact same way. There's not much that's going on today that hasn't been going on for decades and centuries. But in addition, there's something else that's remained true from eternity, and that is that we have a God who is infinitely more powerful, who is infinitely greater, and he does care. He always has, and he always will. And he has expressed his care through the person of his son, Jesus the Christ. And through him, we have the ability to be far more blessed and to be far more wealthy in a spiritual way than anyone in this world could ever begin to wrap their minds around. The only question now is whether or not we're willing to come to him on his terms. Believing that he is the Son of God, John 8 and 24. Repenting of sins, Luke 13 and verse 3. Confessing our faith. Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, being immersed in water for the forgiveness of our sins. Acts 2 and verse 38. That's God's terms. And if we're willing to respond to him and meet those terms, then he promises this. I will cast their sins into the depths of the sea. Zechariah chapter 13. Forgiveness. And a home with him in heaven. Revelation 2 and verse 10. Those are the promises that God gives. So are you ready? Are you, do you find yourselves in the, the shoes of Bartimaeus this morning? Do, do you have a desire to respond to the Lord so that your greatest needs can be met? Let me ask you this. Are you a Christian this morning, but instead of, instead of looking at this context and seeing yourself in Bartimaeus, you look at yourself in this context and you see yourself in the crowd? The people who stiff-armed Bartimaeus and said, this ain't for you. Is that you? 
If it is, you need to change it. We're going to sing a song offering the Lord's invitation, and we would love the opportunity to be able to pray for you, to help you in whatever way that we can. Come forward, let your need be known while we stand and sing.